Hello all you film enthusiasts, casual moviegoers, and anyone in between. Welcome to Cult Following Film Reviews, the show that takes a deep dive into some of the strangest and most beloved films to fall outside of the mainstream. I'm your host, Kelsey Bertner, and I'm here to guide you through the weird and wonderful world that is cult films. listeners and welcome to episode three. Today we're going to be discussing a film that even if you haven't seen it, you're probably going to know at least something about it. It's everywhere in pop culture and it's just a staple of the horror genre in general. Today we're going to be talking about The Shining. This movie has honestly gone above and beyond in its cult status to the point where you really can't escape the many parodies and references that have come from it. For example, almost everyone, I would think, has heard the term red rum, or the iconic phrase, here's Johnny. It's even got a documentary, I say documentary very loosely, about like a bunch of conspiracy theories that have been prompted because of this movie, but I'm really getting ahead of myself. So let's get right into talking about The Shining and its impact. And as always, there will be spoilers in this episode, so if you don't want that, this is your official warning. The Shining film was adapted from the Stephen King book of the same name and directed by Stanley Kubrick. It follows the story of an aspiring writer and recovering alcoholic, Jack Torrance, and his family consisting of his wife, Wendy, and his son, Danny. Jack takes the position as the winter caretaker of the Overlook Hotel, which closes down during those months due to the immense amounts of snow that they receive, given that the hotel is up in the mountains. While in the interview for the position, Jack is told of how the last caretaker essentially went insane and killed his family and two daughters with an axe during his secluded stay there. Despite this, he still says yes to the job and moves his family up to the Overlook for the winter, claiming that the solitude will be good for him to focus on his writing career. However, his son Danny doesn't really want to move there because he keeps getting these weird visions And these visions are only given validation when Danny meets the hotel's cook, Dick Halloran, and Dick explains to Danny that they both share this telepathic ability known as Shining, which is why Danny can see and do all the things that he does. Once the staff leaves the hotel and it becomes just home to the Torrance family, really freaky stuff begins to happen that seriously affects all three of them. And honestly, it appears as if history is doomed to repeat itself. Honestly, this movie is incredible for so many reasons, and I'm going to geek out about it for a little bit. The cinematography is fantastic. I personally really love the constant moving and tracking of the camera as the actors are moving. Like, in the beginning especially, when they're getting tours of the hotel, they're walking from one room to the next, and the camera is just moving between each room very seamlessly, just tracking all of their movements. And I think that's just kind of a Kubrick thing, honestly, because I've seen that in some of his other films. He just likes to have the camera constantly moving and panning and tracking and tilting with the actors. And I just really like that stylistic choice. Especially this is like really prevalent with the tricycle scene where Danny is riding his tricycle through the hallways of the hotel. And the 
camera is just right at his level right behind him the whole time so we're turning as he's turning corners and we're just following him on all of these adventures and it's just so impactful because you never know what's going to be behind the next corner you never know what they're going to see next you're about at the same level as the characters in what you're able to see sometimes you get like a pulled back view or like from the side but it really kind of ramps up that suspense for me I also really like the different camera angles that are used. Um, Like one of my favorites is when Jack is trapped in the food pantry and we can see him like banging on the door trying to get Wendy to let him out. And it's from below him almost as if the camera is like on the floor. So we get this shot upward of like the underside of his chin and his hands on the door. And it's just very unsettling and very creepy. And I really, really like that. And in contrast, I really like the uh, upward angle of when Wendy finds the typewriter with all of Jack's pages and pages of paper that just read all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. I think it's really impactful. And I just really like the suspense of her walking up and it's just looking up at her as if the typewriter is where the camera is. And we just feel that suspense. And I really love that. Some other things I really enjoy... The use of bright colors in this movie for contrast are just so cool. Like, I remember when I was watching it and there was a scene where he's in the bathroom with what I assume would be the ghost of the former caretaker. It is definitely the former caretaker, but it's unclear if it's like a ghost or a hallucination. But I like to say that it's a ghost. And it's just everything is like either a stark white or a bright red. And the colors just pop so vividly in every scene, even in the more muted scenes. It's just very beautiful. Like the carpet when Danny's on the trike is like orange and black and has all these hexagon patterns on it. And it's just so pretty, but also like, it's a horror movie. So like, it's scary, but it's like, I just love how pretty it looks. And I love the symmetry. I absolutely love the symmetry that is in almost every scene because it just makes my brain happy, I guess. Uh, As far as the acting, um, Jack Nicholson, like, honestly, do I need to say more? He's phenomenal in this. So unsettling. His slow descent into madness is just wonderful to watch. And I know that sounds awful, but it really is. And I really like his, almost like their monologues, but like he is talking to the bartender, but the bartender is not really there, obviously. But he's talking to him. And I remember just watching it as he's like drinking and talking about his life and his like self-doubt and his failures and just you can see it on his face that he's just spiraling downward and slowly deciding that like his family's turning against him like he's realizing that whether this is true or not he feels like he needs to do something but he does not know what And you can really just see that. And his face is just so iconic. Like, the faces he makes are just so amazingly terrifying and unsettling and iconic. Like, I just love it. His acting, I could not imagine a better person for this role. And another thing, I'm really surprised at how good Danny Lloyd is. Danny plays Danny. He's a really good child actor. Like, I was very surprised at how focused he was and how well he received everything. And another interesting thing about that is the fact that he didn't even know he was in a horror movie. 
like, according to, like, the sources that I've read, he was told that they were filming a drama and not a horror movie, and that was because Kubrick wanted to shelter him from, like, all the scary parts. Uh, They even used, like, life-size dummies at certain points, like, when Wendy's carrying him around and they're running away from Jack, just so that uh, Danny wouldn't have to see it. And I think that's really cool. He never actually knew that it was a horror movie or saw the scary bits until he watched the uncut version as a teenager and saw that the movie was really just about his father trying to kill him and the hotel being haunted. And I think that's just really, really cool that they managed to pull that off and he never even knew. I like to think maybe he knew a little bit. Like, he was five, but like... I mean, how would you not know? At least a little. At least have your suspicions. So I'm just an extreme horror fan in general. And I really love the way that this movie subverts the horror genre. And just the ways that it's impacted it for decades to come. Like, it's more stylized and very much surreal with, like, the big hedge maze that's out there that gets covered in snow. Or, like, even when they're walking through it and it's still pretty clear out. Like, that is just so trippy. And the the blood that comes rushing out of the elevator and, like, waves upon waves of it. Like, the way that it's shot, the way that it's edited... The stylistic choices that are made in the set decoration, in the color scheme. Everything is just perfectly unsettling, but beautiful to look at at the same time. And I think that makes it all the more creepy. And then, of course, the main thing that everyone seems to take away from this movie is the Kubrick stare. And if you don't know what that is, it's been summed up in a lot of things, but it's basically this look where any of the scary characters will like tilt their head down and they'll look up at the camera through like the tops of their eyes like their eyes will be up pointed up towards the camera and their head will be pointed down and they always have either like a creepy smile or like a smirk or a grimace and it just like pierces through you and like you can't look away But it's the perfect amount of creepy without doing too much. And it's like parodied so much now. But it's just so good and so recognizable to the point where it's become like almost like a horror stereotype. And like, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's so fun. And the cult following for this film really cannot be stated enough. Like, it is crazy how much of a following this film has. There are, like, things from, like, full-blown television parodies. Like, The Simpsons did, like, a full-on episode where they just parodied the entire movie. And I think that's awesome. And there's, like, some other ones that have done that, too. I think South Park did it. I don't remember. But even if it didn't full-on parody it, there are still, like, bits and pieces throughout all sorts of, like, printed media, movies, television, games even. Like, you can just see the influence everywhere and the references everywhere. And I don't know a lot of movies that have done that. Like, nothing is more recognizable than this. Even before I had seen the movie, I knew all of these references. Like, I knew about when Danny holds up his finger and says, like, Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance. I knew about that. I knew about Here's Johnny. I knew about... All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. 
I knew about Red Rum. Like, I knew about the twins in the hallway saying, come play with us. Like, not a lot of movies leave that kind of impact on their culture. And I think that's just so crazy that this was able to do that in such a way that it did. And the fact that uh, Stephen King absolutely hates this movie is just so funny to me. The fact that he hates it and it's like a cultural staple is just so ironic. And I love it. (laughs) I think it's amazing. And uh, one of these crazier things that really came out of this following that it has amassed is this documentary that I mentioned earlier called Room 237. It's on Netflix. Honestly, I don't recommend you watching it. Um, It's not great. I haven't even, like, watched the whole thing myself. I've just seen interview clips. I've seen little bits and pieces. It's not great. It It's like the ramblings of an insane person. But it's a bunch of people's interpretations of the film. But, like, in a weird sense. Like, one person believes that Kubrick was contracted to produce hoaxed footage of a fake moon landing. Like, Kubrick faked the moon landing, and this is all because Danny is wearing a sweater with Apollo 11 on it at some point. Like, they saw that sweater and assumed that that meant that Kubrick faked the moon landing, and that added to their idea that the moon landing was falsified? I I don't know. Someone else thought that the movie was about genocide and somehow anti-Semitic, or at least Jack's character was anti-Semitic because he's similar to the big bad wolf from like an old Disney production that was anti-Semitic, and because Kubrick had an unfinished, unrealized project about the Holocaust, which is such a big stretch. It's just really weird and out there stuff, but it also shows just how impactful this movie was on people. Like, Hell, there are even, like, cosplays of it. Like, TikTok has not been around long. But in the time that it's been around, for some reason, The Shining kind of took over it for a while. Like, there was a very viral video that went around of this one cosplayer dressed as Wendy Torrance with, like, the baseball bat and everything. And there was, like, some pop song playing in the background. And... It was just iconic, and, like, I don't even know if half the people knew who the character was, but it was, like, circulating. And then, because the app is all about, like, lip-syncing and stuff, one of the sounds that went around for a very long time was when Jack catches Wendy, like, in his, like, study area, and she's, like, swinging the baseball bat at him to stay away from her, and he comes up and goes, Wendy, darling, light of my life. I'm not gonna hurt ya. I said I'm not gonna hurt ya. I'm just gonna bash your brains in. And that circulated around TikTok for some reason. Everyone was using that audio for like a good month and a half. And there are like 13 year olds on this app. I don't even know if half of them knew what this was from. So it just blows my mind that it still has such a hold on the world right now and the culture, and movies, and media, and I love it. I love it so much that such a creepy movie has that kind of effect. I just, I I love it. It makes me so happy. Okay, enough of my rambling. It is now time for my film recommendation of the day. Woohoo! 
All right, so sticking with today's theme, I'm going to be recommending another Kubrick classic, A Clockwork Orange. So a bit of a content warning with this one, this movie is kind of super fucked up and depicts some scenes that might be triggering to some people, including um, sexual assault type content uh, and violence, a lot of violence. So if that's something that turns you off or makes you uncomfortable, uh, maybe avoid this one. But if you can get past it, I promise it's a really incredible movie. I had trouble getting past the first part of it um, when I first watched it and I had to turn it off. But then I went back to it and I kept watching it and I was like, this is really good. So basically the movie follows this young man named Alex and he's basically the biggest degenerate in his town. He runs a gang, and he's loud, he's crude, he loves to fight and partake in what he terms ultra-violence. He's really all about hurting people and having sex and just trampling on people and, like, ruling the world, essentially. This guy just wants it all. One day, he and his gang decide they are done with, like, petty robberies and stuff and petty crimes, and they decide to go try and rob a wealthy cat lady as they call her, and Alex unknowingly ends up bludgeoning her to death, and his gang leaves him to be arrested. And when he's arrested, he finds out that he's killed this woman, and he's sentenced to 14 years for this murder. Once in jail, though, he learns of a new experimental technique that is said to rehabilitate criminals in about two weeks. So, of course, he volunteers for the procedure, but he has absolutely no idea what kind of cruel fate awaits him when he does so. It's super dark, super twisted, incredibly surreal, with some of the coolest imagery that I've seen in a film. Uh, It's certainly very stylized, and you will get to see that famous Kubrick stare that I was talking about. It's going to be in there, I promise you. It's, I think it's one of the first shots of the film, honestly, if I'm remembering correctly. But definitely check it out. But again, remember, it's not a film for the faint of heart. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of Cult Following Film Reviews. If you like what you heard, please consider following the podcast so that you know when new episodes go up. Do you have a cult film that you really love and want me to cover on the show? Email it to me at cultfollowingfilmreviews at gmail.com. Until next time, stay weird, film fans. 